did I already ask, is it Janda? It's Janda, right? Janda. Yeah, like Panda yeah. with a J. Okay, that's good. Uh, um, if we were in grade school, you would call me Janda Panda. That's, uh, oh, is that what happened? That, that's what happened. I'm still getting over it. <laughs> Howdy, friends. Welcome to the XD Podcast, a show that explores how design shapes the way we experience brands, products, services, and our everyday lives. As usual, I'm your host, Tony Dosat. Whether you're joining me for the first time or have come back for more, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. And if you find value in this show, I would be honored if you took a moment to share this episode, hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening, or left a review. It's always greatly appreciated. And with that, what do you say we just jump right into the interview? Well, first of all, I want to thank you again for being here, Michael Janda. Um, let me just let me just say it was an outreach on on Instagram. I saw your content, and then I got your books, and I was like, let me just let me just DM and see what's up. And you said yeah. yes, and I was like, oh heck yeah! So thank you. Yeah. No, it's my pleasure. It's fun for me. I love it. Thank you. Um, so you are a you're an agency veteran, designer, leader, speaker, author. Like I said, we've got burn your portfolio stuff. They don't teach you in design school, but should. And then of course the psychology of graphic design pricing. Yes. And that uh, is the price creative work with confidence. Win more bids, make more money. Like we all want to do. Yes. Now, before we dive in any further, can you give us all a little background on you and how you got to be where and who you are today? Yeah, so I'll give you the uh, the abbreviated version because it's been a long 23-year journey now. But I, I graduated from Indiana University in 1996. And, you know, I, I venture out with my student portfolio and I'm all excited thinking I'm going to go conquer the design world. And then like two months later, I still didn't have a job and I'm toting around my giant big black portfolio. They, people don't even have these things. I don't yeah. even buy them anymore, but you know, it's bigger than my car. And uh, dropping it off at agencies and just not getting any job offers. And then finally I got a job offer. It was my first job in the industry. And I was the new pre-press coordinator at Alpha Graphics. That was my, hey, that was my start. <laughs> And this was like, you know, nine bucks an hour. And this was the bottom of the design industry. And what it really did to me is it made me realize that this is not what I wanted for my life. You know, I, I knew that there was more inside of me. So it just drove me to self-education. I started digging in. My wife and I, you know, with a total net worth of like $400, I went and got a credit card and for $2,000 bought my first Mac Performa 6400. And I'd go to work all day and then I would just go uh, home and design portfolio stuff and redesign everything and learn how to code websites and things. And that was all the early days of the internet, man. So we were just coding live on the on the server, you'd telnet into the server and code live right onto the, onto the thing. You wouldn't even upload files. So oh, it, was, yeah. it was early day stuff. Uh, 
but I was driven and passionate to just figure it out because I, I felt like such a loser. So that self-education is what really started pushing me to uh, higher levels in my career. So a few years later, um, well, it was a couple of years, and then I was working for a toy and book company in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, that blew up. I won't go into the long story of that, but there's a fun one maybe for a future podcast. Uh, but it blew up right at the time that the tech boom was happening, the dot-com boom. And I got a job at Fox in LA. It took me a week from the time that my job blew up in Phoenix. One week later, I had an offer from Fox Studios to be the creative director over the Fox Kids and Fox Family, all of the the digital arm of those two brands. And so that was a big deal and it was exciting. And I thought, I'm going to be here forever. You know, multi-billion dollar company. I've got a window office overlooking Beverly Hills right on the Fox lot. This is, this is heaven. Yeah. And then, you know, September 11th happens and then, uh, the tech bubble bursts and all of the funding went away and everybody starts laying off and Fox sold these divisions to Disney and Disney went through, you know, a year and a half of layoffs. And it was pretty miserable because, once a month, it felt like they'd come to my office and I'd get a thing saying, okay, you have to let another four people go or another five people. And so you're just picking people off. And it's every day you go into work for a year and a half wondering, is today the day that the hatchet falls on me? Yeah. So I uh, was applying for jobs everywhere, but the job market for designers and tech-oriented people was awful. Early mm. 2000s. It was not uh, a good job market and couldn't get a job, but I was getting freelance work from some of my coworkers at Fox. These were people who were my like lunch buddies and they started landing positions as, you know, they're producers and marketing managers. They were getting jobs, but production people weren't. And so I started getting freelance work and my first client was Sony and then ABC Family and Warner Brothers and you know these were these were my early friends and they started giving me work and then over time it just started building so I finally got, lost my job started freelancing full time and uh, over thirteen years grew it out of my basement bought a couple of office spaces studios during during the run ended up selling my agency in two thousand fifteen. Um, and it was a great run. I mean, we we were Inc. 5000. We won all the awards you'd want. We had all awards and AIGA and Webby Awards and down the list. And so it was great. And our, our biggest client was Disney. Uh, our biggest client our last three years was Google. We were doing, you know, just high high profile work for awesome brands. And it was super stressful and super fun. And I learned a million things along the way. Uh, But that was kind of my journey. So I sold my agency in 2015, worked for the agency that I sold to for a couple of years. And then I left there at the start of last year uh, to just pursue my real passion, which is what I'm doing now. And it's speaking, writing books, just the, the mentoring side of this whole industry. I love it. And I've been through the the mill a few times, 
in my career. And I just love to try and help people not have to go through it the hard way. Uh, yeah. So I get a lot of passion and love out of that. And, and you can, you can probably see that in some of my content on Instagram where, you know, it's all just about, let's just give away value and try and solve some problems for people before they even know they have problems. That is, right. re- that is really incredible, man. I mean, you've had quite the journey and I would even submit quite the journey a lot of designers look up to as far as that's the kind of trajectory that I want in my career. That being said, dude, I bet you cried, bled. Oh man. Like just hours. I mean, a lot of people don't know what it takes to start your own thing and how oh, long dude. just grueling it is. So it's what advice brutal. would you give someone it's brutal. who's on the precipice? Uh, well, get get a prescription for uh, antidepressants <laughs> and and sleeping meds. Just get that right out of the gate. Because yeah. I didn't figure that out until, you know, like 13 years later. <laughs> uh, it's only partially sarcastic, but there's uh, definitely yeah. a message. Only, only the truth is funny. Yeah, it's, it's probably it. Uh, you know, you get so stuck in the weeds of it that you can't even see a way out. That's, mm. that's where it was for me. So for so long, your life is just like right here in front of your face and you can't even see past tomorrow because of deadlines, employee replacement, no sales. You've got to go and, and pound the pavement and knock the doors of all the people, you know, trying to drum up work. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just so so close to you right here you can't see a vision past where you are that's one of the big challenges of it all and uh the stress is unrelenting because if it's going good it's stressful because there's so much work and your employees are working late and you're I'm not trying to talk anybody out of doing it because, <laughs> man, I'm telling you, it was so rewarding for me. I grew in so many ways that I could not have done without it. So it's definitely worth doing it. But there's just this, you, you mentioned it in the question, the blood and the sweat and the tears of it all. It's real. And if it's growing and it's busy and there's tons of work, it's stressful because you got to get it all done and you got to keep the clients happy and your employees are working late and you're trying to staff up and train all the time. And if it's slow, then you're sitting there stressing because you're hemorrhaging money and you're trying to, when do I let these people go who have given me so much and I Mm -hmm. love people. I'm so happy for them and proud of them and I owe them. And so you ride the, you ride it down and we made a lot of money over the years. But I never felt like I had like a substantial net worth until it was all Mm. over. Because everything you own is kind of attached to the the rainy day fund. Mm. Like what's going to happen if this all goes to crap tomorrow? I have everything that I'm going to have to put into it that I've ever made to keep it alive to hopefully have a sunny day again. And yeah. so because everything's so tied into it all, uh, I didn't really f- start to feel like, okay, now that the business is shut down and or merged into this other agency, and once all that's settled, 
then you can start looking at it and seeing the fruits of of the of the 13 years that led up to that but Seriously. in the weeds of it, it you know it's it's pretty crazy it's pretty crazy for sure is that was that part of the genesis of burn your portfolio the your first book yeah 100% i mean gen, burn your portfolio came out of uh, I'll give you the brief story. When I first started hiring people, I started freelancing 2002. I think I hired my first employee in 2004. And I was a, a brand new business owner, afraid of everything, you know, afraid of cash flow, afraid of taxes. I just I'd had no experience with any of this. And employing people was the scariest thing to me because you think, Oh, now I got to hire this person. And now I have to pay for all of their life in addition Mm. to my life, which I'm already afraid to pay for on its own. And so I hired the cheapest employees possible. That's, that's the natural progression. You just, right. You're afraid. So you keep, you keep it as small as you can. And the early employees that I had, what I was finding when you're hiring junior people or when you're hiring, my first employee was a high school kid. He'd come over after high school and work for me for peanuts, man. It was nothing. And they just didn't have any of the soft skills that you needed. You need more than just design or production skills to be successful. So my early employees, even these junior designers who were coming out of college that I was hiring, it was their first job or I hired them away from, you know, a more manual labor type of job or something. And started trying to teach and train them and found that they just lacked a lot of the soft skills, a lot of business skills, um, communication skills, time management skills, leadership skills, presentation skills. You go down the list of these kinds of things that you have to have to be successful mm-hmm. in any career, but design schools weren't teaching those things. You, you go to design school and they teach you color theory and you're a master of typography and you have composition skills and you know your software, but then you go into the real world and they're like, hey, run this meeting. Yeah. And they're like, what? Run yeah. a meeting? What are you talking about? Or, hey, manage this project from start. Here's the, here's the creative brief. Now manage this project. And they're like, huh? How do yeah. I manage this project? So I started to just systemize everything. I tried to take everything that I was doing and turn it into a system down to how to write an email. Here's an email formula. Here's canned communication. Here's, here's production processes for every type of project, just a checklist, do this, then this, then this for everything that we did. And when I started writing that, um, it was an employee manual at the start. Then I was asked to speak at an AIGA event in Tennessee, in Nashville in 2007. And I decided to speak on these soft skills, these these things they don't teach you in design school, but should. And I had such a great response from the audience that uh, it became the idea to produce it in a book afterwards. One of the, one of the um, posts that you did on Instagram, I thought was really interesting and really highlighted <clears throat> the importance of iterating and ideation was the the title of the book. Um, you'd gone through a few, let's say, and oh, some yeah. some I actually thought were you know that 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 could have worked, 
but yeah. turn your portfolio really is it knocks it out of the park. But what were some of the other ones? Well, uh, we had the OCD as an attribute was one that I really liked. And that one almost landed because that's one of the chapters in the book. And it's kind of a little mantra of my own. I got, I'm not like diagnosed with OCD, but every designer has a little bit of OCD in them. That's just part of the nature of the beast. And so OCD as an attribute was a little bit of a spin on the, you know, hey, let's embrace this about ourselves. And I thought that that could have worked. So I I pushed that for a little bit, but the publisher, they almost went with that, but they, they, uh, they didn't in the end, they said, we think there's something better there. Uh, At one point it was called Polishing Turds. I can't remember if that was one of the the titles, but in the, in the post, but Polishing Turds was one of the titles of the book. I like Nuggets from the Trenches. Now that was the original. Yeah. Nuggets from the trenches, <laughs> the original. Now, that was the title of my lecture that led to to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, nuggets from the trenches. I still like it, and I still I still refer to these things as nuggets. From that's time. right. Let's just go. Let's just go three words. What you learned from writing this book in three words, um, and it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to make a sentence. Okay, but it could. Well, three words, man. I'm a wordy guy. I can't. I can't <laughs> distill anything down to three words. Uh, Beyond I the, love you, I love uh, you. That's uh, it. No. Oh, I like that. Okay. Well, now, well, now, now, dig into that. Okay, so, <laughs> well, let me give you. Let me give you three words. Let me give you three sentences. How about that? Can we can we go three sentences? Let's do it. Okay. The first one I learned is that you don't have to write the entire book before you send it to publishers. I didn't know this. I had a 400 page book completely written. And then I sent that to publishers. And what I found is that you really only need to do a sample chapter plus your outline. No kidding. Yeah. So if you want to get your book published and you're not sure if it's going to get published, you you may not want to spend all the time writing the whole thing. Well, shoot, that's good to know. Yeah, it is good to know. Um, the next thing, what did I learn? You know, I learned how to, to tangibly turn the way that I did things into a systematic one, two, three kind of step-by-step process. And that was invaluable at my agency. And because I was writing a book over five years of time, it changed how I was running my agency because I started looking for Gosh, this is way more than three words. See, hey, I started yeah. looking for uh, every time we had a problem, something wrong with the client, a project, an employee. My approach would be: How do we solve this through a system? What do we do to to solve this through a system? And then I would document the system and implement it in my agency to fix that problem so it never happens again. Mm. And so the the dynamic of the way I perceived everything going on around me all became about let's learn the lesson here and implement something to make it not happen in the future. So with the second book and the genesis of that, did you were you getting feedback like, hey, love the first book, it's amazing, but what about pricing? No, I, the first book had a great response and it still does well. Um, I have a list of books that I'm going to write. And so the truth is, is that last summer at the end of the summer, I thought, which one am I going to start with here? 
and I picked this one off the list because I know that there's a problem with people not understanding how do you price their work. And they're just pulling numbers out of the sky. They're like, somebody comes to them, they say, I need a logo. And the person says, okay. And they go back and then they sit there and they say, what should I charge? Uh, I don't know. And, and I have a very methodical, systematic way of analyzing three different variables and how do you make your decision based on these three variables. And those variables are your production costs, your cost to produce the work, mm-hmm. the market value of the work. What's the, what is the market threshold that people are paying for this type of work? And then what is the client's budget? And I hold to the fact that you cannot price a project without knowing those three numbers. And then you've got to assess your current situation and decide where you're going to price it in this spectrum of those three numbers. And that's the essence of the book. But I do it in a very methodical, systematic way down to worksheets. I tried to make it as remedial as possible because I know a lot of designers don't like numbers. They freak out about math. None of us are mathematicians, man. That's why we're designers. <laughs> you don't want to be doing numbers anymore. So I tried to make it as systematic as possible, uh, even for the designers who really loathe numbers. And my feedback on this book from the people who have read it so far is the big takeaway is even five pages into it, the takeaway is, man, I really need to understand the costs of my business. Because mm. people with big businesses, even billing millions of dollars a year, don't understand the costs of their own business, their cost to produce a project. People don't get it. Yeah. I think that's one of the big pitfalls. Designers, I guess, if it's called a pitfall, just don't know how to price their work because they don't understand what it costs to run themselves as a business. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Whether it's a solo show or you got 15, 30, 200 people. Let's do a little tangent into some pitfalls. What are some that that you find, I want to call them pet peeves you have, but I think pitfalls might be more beneficial for, for fellow designers to hear, hey, be wary. Okay. Good. Well, I have a list of these things. And and I know uh, you and I bounced some of these back and forth a little bit on one of your posts uh, yeah. um, that you had. And I, I like to call them pet peeves. I a, pit, a pitfall. So here's a big pitfall. And, and then a pet peeve is like a small pitfall. So I'll start with a big pitfall. And then we can talk about a lot of my little small pitfalls because I have some of those too. Love it. But a big, a big pitfall is the industry is changing so much and so fast that people will get left behind if they do not stay on top of wherever the wind is blowing this year. And it's year by year, man. I mean, yeah. you go back two years, everybody's using Sketch. Then XD comes out. And now, if you're not learning XD, I believe you're going to be you're going to go the way of Quark Express in the future because XD is part of the Adobe suite and at some point people are going to get sick of paying money for Sketch or Envision or whatever when they already have XD in the suite that they're already paying for so they're not going to yeah. want to pay and this is how Adobe killed Quark you know they they made it part of the package by the creative suite get it? get InDesign or PageMaker in the day 
Photoshop and Illustrator for one price for all three, and they're yeah. they're going to do the same. So these are the kinds of things that can be pitfalls if you're not staying on top of where the wind is blowing in the industry. Now, I'll give you some examples of my own mistakes in doing this. Mm. Social media, man. 2010, Facebook starts to take pick up steam. What did my agency do? We kept building online games in Flash for our clients. Mm. And we kept building microsites for these entertainment companies because that's what we had been building for six, eight years. The, the phone comes out. Steve Jobs effectively kills Flash with one announcement that the iPhone is not going to support it. It's gone. Games start changing in how they're built. Social media comes on the scene. People don't need microsites anymore. And my agency, all of a sudden, half our revenue each year is built on those two things and they start to just disappear. Yeah. And so this is a this is a big pitfall and it can happen to anybody. It happened to me. We were billing millions of dollars a year and it happened to my agency. You mm-hmm. got to watch it and you got to stay ahead of it. So a lot of the people that are listening to a podcast like yours are the ambitious ones who are listening and trying to figure that stuff out. It's it's not so much the people listening, but the people listening, go tell your coworkers to not get left behind because if they're not listening and trying to stay ahead of the curve here, they could, they could poof, go away. Yeah. Their, their opportunities. UX is a big one right now. If, if any designer out there is not trying to brand themselves in some sort of a fashion as a UX designer, I don't care if you love print and logo design, that's your passion and your love. Fine but you've got to have some digital products in your portfolio and somehow mention the fact that you're a UX designer or you're not going to be able to get a job in two years because that's what everybody wants right now. Yeah. Even with, like you said, logo designers. I mean, when somebody's thinking about the bottom line, you're a commodity. And if I can get it cheaper and I don't, and I'm not explained from the designer or from, you know, someone else in my company how important that is. Why would I go spend $10,000 on just a logo? Yeah. I mean, it's a, at this point, it's like the CEO is thinking, oh, that's absurd. I can go get it for 200 bucks, this dude on Craigslist or my cousin in the basement. Yeah. Or Fiverr for five bucks. Honestly. Yeah. It's or or do it yourself and the the do it yourself tools. It's like you know, pick an icon, type your text, and it exports yeah. your files. It's it's uh, it's changing the dynamics of the industry. So these are big potential pitfalls for people that that they have to worry about. Now, if we go into small pitfalls, I have you know, and I'll just run through these. I won't uh, I won't be so long winded. Let's do the let's do the pitfall lightning round. All right, let's do it. Pitfall lightning round, no SIG file on your email. Come on, people. How is somebody going to call you or email you or whatever, or find your, your social post if you don't have a SIG file on your email? Boom. Uh, this is one of two buttons with a bad active state uh, decision. And you see this like on, a, on a, uh, an app on your television a lot. Netflix. And there is a, do you want to subscribe? And it doesn't say yes or no. It says subscribe or not subscribe or whatever. And 
one is blue and the other one's red and you click back and forth and then the blue one turns red and the red one turns blue and you're like which one's the which hot? is active yeah which is active yep i hate that but you see it all the time so we got to have some kind of a more clear active state hover state yeah. for uh those kinds of things trusting spell check this is a, a pet peeve if you're a bad speller and you trust spell check and then it's like there there or there i just said there in three different spellings but you don't know which one it is yeah. and if you're such a bad speller that you don't you just trust spell check that they did it right you click okay accept all you're going to have a lot of misspellings so you got to be able to spell enough to at least know the difference between t h e i r and t h e r e because the spell check's not going to necessarily find it now you have things like grammarly that are trying to make us even more inferior than we already are yeah. uh, <laughs> to to uh fix things like this but that's a pet peeve of mine um bad leading lines this is another one when you have a picture on a website or a print brochure or something and it's looking off the page instead of at the text you want mm. somebody to to read uh, that kind of thing drives me crazy, man. Flop the picture. Flip it. Yeah. Photoshop. It's not that hard. Command T, right click, and bam. Done. Come on, people. Come on. <laughs> uh, almost centered is a big one for me. And I'm so neurotic about this. You know, you look at it, and uh, I can look at a lot of designs and just say, hey, that's a pixel off. Move a pixel over to the left. And people will say, no, I think it's right. And then they'll get out and they'll measure and realize that it, that it is off, but that, that, I'm so neurotic about that. Untreated stock photos drives me nuts. Don't just take the stock photo as it is and plop it into your design. At least treat it in some way, color correct it if nothing else, or treat it to match your design. Fade it, put a little tint on it, something that makes it flow better in your design. You see a lot of designers just throw it into a into a design mm -hmm. um, tangents a big one for me you know where two two triangles are kind of almost touching and they should either be touching overlapping or farther apart this kind of thing drives me nuts i see this all the time so no, that's it's a lightning round i guess it probably wasn't as fast as you had hoped but that was a lightning round no that was good yeah <clears throat> hey that's the first time i've done a segment like that and uh you know what we're all about iteration. Um, okay. I have one more question for you. Okay. And it's a question I ask all of my guests. But before I ask it, where can people find you, hit you up and connect and enjoy all of your content? Awesome. Thanks for asking. At more Janda on every social platform. I had to dig deep to find a handle that was available everywhere. So that was, that was a challenge, but I landed on more Janda. Um, I'm putting a lot of focus on Instagram right now because that's where my most active audience is. So that's what's getting my first generation content. Um, YouTube, I have a new YouTube channel that I started a couple months ago that I'm also posting content to just not as active as my Instagram. So if you want to Hit me up on Instagram. That's that's number one spot. Facebook, LinkedIn. I, I'll tweet once every six months. So if you want to follow me on Twitter, <laughs> uh, you're more than welcome to. Final question, which is, what 
non-digital thing that you own or possess means the most to you or has impacted your life the most and why? Oh, man. So I can't say my AirPods or my phone. I, I can't say those things, huh? Dang it. Fortunately not. No. Oh, I've got it. My non-digital thing? That's right. And I'm not talking people because the right answer is my wife and then my children. That's, That's the right, right answer. <laughs> but so we're just going to, we're just going to, for them, that would be number one. But I'm just going to yeah. skip past that because it's obvious. My answer is it's my custom Mike Janda bobblehead <laughs> that uh, oh, that's I have good. a big Look at that collection. I have 150 something bobbleheads. Uh, they used to all be at my studio in the entryway. That was kind of our lobby display. Then we started to get custom bobbleheads of all of our employees. So after your 90 day review, you would get your own bobblehead of yourself. And everybody had them, you know, that is cool. on everybody's desk. So that's my, that's my The price. likeness is astounding. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. <laughs> Some of them were like spooky, like Chucky horror movie kind of stuff that uh, uh, the wow, likeness good. of some of these people. Yeah. So there you what go. A, what a clever, thoughtful thing to do for an employee after the 90 day. That's really something. And I had great employees, man. I mean, you, you fall in love with these people and they, they become your long-term friends. I had people, there's one guy still at, still at the agency now. I'm not even there anymore, but he's still there. He was one of my early employees. I think he's got more years there now than I do. Wow. So, yeah. Well, thank you again for being on the show. All right, man. And uh, let's do this again sometime. Yes. All right, cool, man. Thanks again. All right, Tony. Thank you. See ya. And with that, we will call it a week. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, be sure to share it with your friends, family, or coworkers. As always, you can find the show notes and full transcript at xdpodcast.com or stalk me on Instagram at xdpodcast. I can't wait to have you back next week, but until then, friends, stay curious. The XT Podcast is part of XT Media, LLC, and is produced and edited by me, Tony Dosat. Hosting and publication of the podcast is through Buzzsprout.